Hello everyone, I'm Adrian. Hey everyone, I'm Dakshesh. And you are listening to Biz Talk. Guys, do you ever feel that there is so much happening in the business and tech world, but you don't really understand all of it? Or do you feel that you have a very myopic understanding and your understanding might just be limited to your role in the organization that you're working for? You know, there are so many new roles coming up which weren't there a couple of years back. Like what does a CCO, a CDO or a CRO even do? Or how are the business practices in large firms different from startups? We sort of have an understanding, but do we really understand it? We realized that the best way to get a holistic view of business and tech was to speak with industry leaders who have been there, done that. So join us at BizTalk as we converse with leaders in business and tech to learn, understand and gain insights from their experiences. These leaders would be spread across different industries, roles and geographies. Hey guys, this is our fourth episode on the topic of key account management. In our previous episode, our guest Naveen Rena talks about co-creating a common vision with your key accounts. This has been something which has been a secret source for him as a key account practitioner. He shares one such example of how, as a part of a telco company, he pitched to the board of a beer manufacturing company that will that how they can help them brew the best beer and serve it chill to the customers. Yes, it was a really interesting story and do give it a listen. In today's episode, we learn about building and scaling key account practices at a startup. Our guest today has over 22 years of experience across semiconductor, high-tech, enterprise software and B2B SaaS, with more than 7 plus years dedicated to enterprise account management. He is perfectly suited to share insights on our topic today, as he has also built and scaled key account practices, taking a startup from Series B to a Series E enterprise, and is currently working at another hyper-growth startup to repeat the same success. Guys, welcome Sumit Kumar, the Vice President of Strategic Accounts team at Botfix. Hi Sumit, how are you doing today? Hey Adrian, hi Daksesh. I'm doing very well. Uh, it's a perfect start to the morning here in Seattle, 70 degrees, very nice and cool, so it's a great uh, you know, summer morning. That's awesome Sumit. So Sumit, the way we like to start our biz talk is that in the beginning, rather than before getting into the serious stuff, we have some casual questions that helps our listeners understand you as a uh, understand you more from a person as well as professional aspect. So are you up for those questions? Absolutely. So Sumit, here's the first question. What's not on your LinkedIn profile? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, on a personal front, uh, I'm a foodie and a travel enthusiast. Uh, you know, I grew up uh, as son of an army officer, so we moved every couple of years. So it was a pretty interesting uh, life growing up. Other interesting tidbit is that I've lived in three continents. I've traveled to 20 plus uh, countries uh, and enjoyed meeting people from different cultures. And like I mentioned, I'm a foodie, so uh, you know, it served me very well. That's great. So meet the next question being, what's one book that you would recommend everyone to read and why? 
One book that comes to my mind is uh, a book by Carol Dweck. She was professor of psychology at Stanford University. And the name of the book is Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. The, the reason I like this book is, uh, you know, in the book she talks about uh, uh, fixed mindset and a growth mindset and how they are different and why, uh, you know, to be successful in school, work, sports, almost any area of human endeavor, how, you know, your mindset uh, uh, influences uh, your success, how you think about your talents and your abilities that they are not fixed, they can be developed over a period of time. So I would highly recommend that uh, to people, uh, you know, uh, in the account management uh, profession or, uh, you know, I think, I think it's useful for any career path. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. In fact, a lot of our leadership, in fact, in most of the companies has been focused on how to inculcate a growth mindset. And mindset is definitely one book which has been recommended time and again. And a lot of our leaders talk about that this is one book which can help you, you know, uh, tap into your potential. Sumit, uh, going on to the next question. So we are discussing about key account management today. How do you think that key account management as a role is different in B2B SaaS startups vis-a-vis, you know, large IT companies? So if you think about key account management, uh, it is all about managing client relationships, uh, building those relationships, keeping your customer satisfied, being a trusted advisor, and then eventually growing your wallet share from clients. So from this perspective, the role is similar in both SaaS and large IT companies. However, when you look at uh, you know, SaaS companies, and especially startups, you don't have a lot of brand recognition. You are probably not in an established category. So it requires a lot of effort and perseverance for you to build the relationships. Relationships with key stakeholders, relationships with CXOs and senior management in your customers. And it takes time to uh, establish the value and the ROI. Whereas in large IT corporations, uh, relatively speaking, uh, it's, it's relatively easier to get meetings, uh, you know, your brand is known, your, your, your services portfolio is more established. So I think from a personal perspective, uh, AM who's working for a uh, B2B SaaS startup, it requires a different kind of uh, approach, a different kind of mindset. Uh, you need to be very perseverant and, and then keep trying. So that's where I would say the role is slightly different. Uh, it's a, a long-term game. You are trying to establish yourself as a thought leader. You are trying to establish the category together with many other roles in your company. Got it. Sumit, you have been a part of a lot of startups and you have helped them scale their key account practices. Where do you think startups go wrong with their key account practices? I think one common mistake uh, many uh, organizations uh, you know, startups also tend to make and then repeat is to treat all their accounts with the same business model. The key is to segment your customers into SMB, mid-market, enterprise, strategic, uh, whatever, uh, you know, uh, industry you're playing in, whatever segments are suitable as an example. So a key account management process is required to manage your key accounts uh, your strategic accounts, which may require more nurturing, which may require different skills and utmost attention than other accounts. 
the famous uh, management rule uh, applies here too. 80% of your profit will come from 20% of your more strategic customers. So what resources to invest, how to invest, where to invest are the key questions you have to handle. Uh, don't treat all your customers uh, the same. Treat them with uh, the right priorities. I'm not saying don't treat and focus on your SMB customers, but uh, look at these different segments, uh, you know, and, and, and put the efforts accordingly. Got it. Well, now we have a fun question. So, Sumit, who do you prefer more as a pet, cats or dogs? Uh, dogs any day. Uh, they are a man's best friend for a reason. I do have a two-year-old dog, loving dog, uh, called Bruno. He's a labradoodle, so dogs any day. Got it. And if not in sales or key account management, what's the alternate career that you would be pursuing right now? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, guys are making me think very hard. This is not easy to answer. Um, I think so many Sorry to interrupt, but the other reason I think this question comes up is because you have played, you have been a part of multiple roles. I think, um, you know, part of MA, sales operations, partnerships. So I think that's why it kind of makes you, it may make you difficult to realize what that alternate career is because you have done so many. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, actually, I've been fortunate to play a number of different roles in my professional career. Started in consulting, did strategic marketing get partnerships and alliances, account management and, you know, sales. Uh, I really enjoyed my stint as a uh, partnership and strategic alliances guy when I was at Infosys. I actually led that practice and built that practice as well. So that was a very interesting career. Uh, if not this type of career in technology, since I was very passionate about sports and I'm still uh, I would have loved to be a sports coach and a mentor uh, in a completely different field. So that's what I likely would have done uh, if I did not enter the tech space uh, or you know become a professional like uh, I am today. Got it. Sumit, just picking up from what you said, uh, like you have had exposure to a lot of different things, whether it be sales operations or consulting. Since the beginning, was it a very conscious move from your side to get exposure into different arenas or was it something like that happened by chance and you started liking it more and more? Yeah, I would not say it happened by chance. I think I pretty much forced myself. So after completing my MBA, having done four to five years of uh, you know uh, technical consulting role, application engineering role, I wanted to uh, do something in a business role. So that MBA gave me a well-rounded exposure to how organizations run, what other functions are, how you know important they are, and I pushed for a change in uh, careers within my company. And again, I was fortunate enough that I was part of a large company, and then I got an opportunity in uh, strategic marketing. Few things happened by chance uh, where I got an opportunity to even work in MA, although I'm not listed here. That just happened because I did good work and my leadership liked you know, my profile and what I brought to the table in terms of attitude, learning, passion. Uh, rest is all thought through. I wanted to try different roles and you know, big companies provide you that opportunity for lateral movement uh, into different roles. 
So uh, uh, it's, it's a combination of what I wanted to do. Plus, I think a few things came along the way and I just grabbed them. Interesting. Thanks for sharing, uh, Sumit. Um, and you know, taking, taking a dive into you know, what we wanted to talk about, like our core theme being uh, you know, sharing, listening to you or understanding or gaining insights from you around building and scaling key account practices. Uh, and I think just on this topic, I think a good starting point would be to understand from you, when should a startup decide they need to make their investments in key account, uh, in building a separate key account practice? Like what are some of those factors uh, uh, that startups should look at when they think about taking the plunge uh, into key account practice? Yeah, yeah, interesting question. So I think many of the B2B startups uh, typically start in the SMB space, then they move to mid-market and eventually to enterprise space. I know very few startups which would start in the enterprise space directly. Uh, so I think first thing is uh, to look at where are you in your customer journey? Do you have clients in SMB space? Have, are you starting to acquire more and more of enterprise customers? And then uh, you need to think of them in terms of uh, what should be my strategy? Low touch, medium touch, and high touch. So as you start scaling your enterprise segment customer, then you acquire more and more of those, you know that there is a tremendous opportunity uh, you know, to grow the account after you do the initial land. These companies have multiple departments, they have multiple subsidiaries, they require a little bit more effort and energy. So that, that's the time uh, as you start acquiring the enterprise segment customers, you, you start looking at a key account management uh, practice and hire appropriately. Secondly, uh, I think it's important is, uh, if you look at uh, many startups, initially they have the sales team only managing uh, the customer during uh, early stages, but it's, uh, it's uh, not very proactive. It's more of when the opportunity comes, they are not nurturing the relationships. Uh, they are not you know, spending much uh, time and this works okay uh, but as customers start realizing value from your products and services, you have opportunity to grow your accounts, co-innovate with them, go to other parts of the business, uh, and 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 you know drive uh, deeper relationships and you know increase your revenue. So uh, this is where you need to be. Uh, you understand their business priorities, be consultative with your customers, and bring the right solutions and right internal teams to them. Which, which all requires a lot of focused effort and a certain skill set which uh, which your account manager has compared to a salesperson. So you don't want to dilute the focus of your sales team. Their focus is to acquire new logos and sell. So I think these are certain things I would uh, keep in mind uh, as I'm trying to build a key account management practice uh, and, uh, uh, and, and build it. So in my previous startup, just as a, uh, Anecdote, we started this practice uh, prior to uh, our Series B stage. Uh, we roughly had uh, eight to 10 enterprise customers. They had started uh, uh, using the platform after go going live and, and we, we, we thought it's time to now start investing into a key account management practice. Interesting. And so does like, um, you know, when you, when you move to this, the, the different stages of funding, let's say from series A, B, C, uh, is it also driven by, let's say some of the results that you need to showcase 
um, you know, uh, to the investors on board, uh, wherein, you know, you need to show a lot of like growth coming in from your existing customer. Does that kind of play a factor uh, for, you know, companies to invest in uh, a practice like this so that, um, you know, I mean, like, uh, would that be a factor? Yeah, we actually started reporting revenue from expansion and revenue from new logos, I believe around stage B or stage C, I can't remember exactly, but it was, uh, you know, one of those stages. The investors also want to see uh, how you are growing your enterprise customers because they uh, used to quote us on how other companies in their portfolio have grown their enterprise accounts. So this starts to become a, a topic of conversation even with your investors. And uh, the rule of thumb which I heard, and I don't know how true that is, uh, but uh, a good benchmark was that 30% of your net new revenue uh, you know, needs to start coming from your existing uh, install base, from your existing customers. Uh, so definitely when we were at stage B, we were not at 30% of net new ARR or net new uh, recurring revenue coming from existing portfolio. Uh, and uh, from the time we went from series B to series E, we started inching towards 25% uh, uh, of net new ARR. That was the target and we were very close to achieving it. Oh, that's a good insight actually on the 30% uh, revenue from install base. I mean, like, like we like uh, you know it becomes important for companies to uh, you know uh, farm and you know land and expand i think that's where a lot of uh, investors look at this thing but yeah i mean like, i think this this uh, i think this is a good number for us to kind of ballpark or i think other startups should ballpark that this is where they should look at uh, their install base and what is the kind of revenue coming in for them to kind of scale the practices and also, just coming back to one of uh, the points that you mentioned, you know, where startups go wrong uh, and you kind of specifically mentioned around the segmentation that, you know, uh, your SMB customers and then your mid-market or your enterprise or your key accounts. And that, you know, brings me to the second question is while selecting, you know, key or key accounts uh, or while deciding what are the accounts that you want to classify or bring into your key account program, what are some of the criterias uh, do you, uh, you know, do, do you evaluate or look at when deciding those key accounts? Yeah, so I, you know, think of uh, a framework for uh, deciding your key accounts. Uh, framework of a key account management uh, matrix might be helpful. So think of a graph where you have account potential, account attractiveness along your, let's say, x-axis, and then think about strength of relationship in that, in those accounts along the y-axis. Uh, where you have high account potential and a very high relationship uh, uh, score, uh, those are your strategic customers. That's where you, know, you, you, you want to drive more and more of uh, your efforts. Then you have accounts where you have high account potential, but the relationship score uh, today is low. Uh, these are the accounts which you want to focus upon uh, for the you know, now and medium to long term and make them uh, you know, move up to the uh, strategic uh, quadrant. You can call them your star accounts, uh, for example. 
the, the area where you have low account attractiveness or potential and you have either low or high relationship index score, those are your maintenance accounts or you know, call opportunistic accounts. So low account potential and a good index score, maintain the status quo, maintain those accounts. And anywhere we are, where you are low on potential as well as relationship score, just manage for profitability and, and be opportunistic. So besides this framework, uh, the other thing to uh, look at is uh, the strategic nature of the customer. Uh, is this a big brand which uh, you know you might have low ARR uh, today, but there is a lot of room for growth. So consider that uh, as, as a key criteria. The other thing to look at is uh, you know in this particular uh, segment, if I actually have a mid-market customer, but that customer is very innovative, they are doing very exciting things, they look to be potentially the next star, give it some weightage and also think, hey, can I that and treat on an exception basis, that customer is a star account to focus upon. So in short, I would look at the ARR and revenue potential as one key criteria. I would look at the strategic nature of the customer, which could be the brand, which could be a market leader in the segment, but just happens to be a small customer for you, uh, and then look for future stars. And then also uh, see where you can co-innovate with your customers to make your product or your platform better. Those are the uh, criteria which, uh, which I would, uh, I would uh, you know, consider as I decide uh, where to focus in my key account. Yeah, great, I think great point, Sumit. And I think apart from some of the obvious thing on you know, uh, SOP or growth potential, I think innovation and nimbleness is also something that is extremely crucial uh, because that decides how, um, you know, how open to a partnership they would be to help you because key account management is about co-creation, a lot about co-creation. Like, I mean, like if you don't have the support from your customers and uh, a program like this would, you know, uh, would derail. So I think I really love that. Uh, what are your views on another point? And this was an interesting one. I remember from our first conversation or first podcast that we shot uh, where, um, you know, uh, our guests kind of said that, uh, one other criteria that, you know, uh, he would like to look at is how does uh, the company that you partner with look at you as a vendor? And I think just quoting his exact words, it was like, do they look at you as a per kilo buyer or a per value buyer? Uh, would you, you know, consider this as a criteria or, uh, or is it like, you know, ex uh, you know uh, exception? Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. Uh, I remember from my sales leader once that uh, when they closed a very large deal, we were one of the two vendors in the room, which they were looking at uh, seriously. So two shortlisted vendors and, you know, the sales leader got an opportunity to meet with the decision maker, the economic buyer who was going to uh, be the sponsor also. And in the meeting, the question was, uh, around why should we go with you and besides everything else about the product and the platform uh, my sales leader uh, had looked at the values of the company and he quoted a couple of values from uh, their uh, website which also talked about supplier sustainability and supplier development 
and, and talked about, and the other thing was innovation. And our company was very, very innovative. I think most of these SaaS companies are very innovative and, and then they spend a lot of R&D uh, because that's what you have to do. So that's where there was a very, very good alignment and that tilted uh, the, uh, the decision in our favor, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that was the only criteria, but uh, alignment in terms of values uh, makes a difference. So yeah, just going by that, I, I feel it's, it's a criteria to look at. Uh, you can always add additional criteria as you, as you do these things. So no hard and fast rules. So, so I think it's a good uh, thing to look at. Do I look at that uh, uh, every time? Um, Maybe not, but I think it's it's it's, it's a good criteria to add uh, uh, add to the uh, you know list of parameters for sure. That's a great example, Sumit. Sumit, now moving on. So, a startup right now has identified the key accounts. They have decided, you know, what are the kind of key accounts that they would want to go after. Now, if I'm looking at the next step, how does a startup go on to build up or set up their key account practices? And how do they hire the right resources? Yeah, hiring, I think, is uh, very, very key for any organization and, uh, you know, even more important for a startup because you have a limited budget. You can't hire uh, at scale uh, immediately. Uh, so I would say don't rush into hiring. Take your time to hire uh, uh, the right person, the right fit. Uh, some of the best practices to share here, you know, again, not in any order of priority, but uh, uh, hire for the segment. So we already talked about segmentation. Uh, depending upon where you play, you need to think about that segmentation. Uh, so you might have strategic in your biggest accounts, then you have your enterprise accounts, and then I'm, you know, putting everything else in, in, in the last category. So you need to hire for the segment people who have worked in handling those kind of clients. Uh, and if you start with strategic enterprise and let's say mid-market or SMB, it also gives a career path to somebody down the road who did mid-market to move up uh, to uh, enterprise or strategic segment once he or she proves themselves. So I would hire for the segment. In terms of key skills to look for, for uh, a key account management, uh, I, I, I look for uh, certain key things. Uh, so I was looking for client relationship building skills because this is a, you know, not a transaction. This is a uh, long-term game where you work with the client. You need to be consultative and, you know, earn that trusted advisor uh, confidence. Uh, in a startup, the other things are, uh, you know, there is chaos and complexity at times. You move fast processes are still being defined. So I, I look for people who can manage chaos and complexity and who are willing to uh, move at the speed of business. Customer empathy is very, very important. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about good communication skills uh, uh, and all because they, they are a given. Uh, the other key thing uh, is uh, a good culture fit or not. I think the values have to align. Uh, this is a very important aspect where we paid a lot of attention while hiring candidates. At what fix, it's only you know four months for uh, me, but uh, by our hustle mode on, uh, get it done attitude, uh, look at candidates who like to take initiative, uh, you know who have the drive and the passion. So uh, those are some of the things uh, which uh, which I would look at. 
if, if you want, I can even comment on some of the practices which we uh, did uh, while interviewing. Would you like me to comment on that? Yeah, sure. So uh, as we grew, and I think uh, when we were at stage C in my previous startup, either it was stage C or yeah, I, I would think it was stage C, we started doing group interviews. So we would have uh, you know two people in a in a group, and we would uh, you know do two interviews, so total of four people. Uh, there was a culture interview as well, which really helped because by that time you know we were reasonably sized. Uh, we had a very good culture within uh, the company. We advertised and socialized and evangelized that culture on our website and uh, other social channels. Uh, and and that 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 sort of uh, interviewing process helped because uh, uh, we had cross-functional team uh, also looking at candidates. Uh, at WorkFix, uh, we did a mini project after doing the uh, the the verbal interviews. You know, let's say there are two rounds of interviews uh, or maybe three, but we uh, give a mini project, and the mini project could be make a account plan and present, or hey, learn about the product. We have a community version go on uh, the community version, learn the product and give a demo for 15 uh, minutes. And what you will see is very interesting things start coming out. How does the person handle objections? How does the person present? Can he handle stress questions? How well he or she communicates? All of those things start uh, coming out uh, during these presentations. So I found it as a very, very useful tool uh, I, have, I have never done that in my entire uh, uh, professional career, and I think that that's a useful uh, you know, thing for uh, startups to try, B2B uh, SaaS companies to try, if, if they have the time and patience, uh, because you are really investing a lot of, uh, you're going to invest in these people and, and, and groom them and give them an opportunity to succeed. So I think it does make sense to uh, to look at that. So those are some of the things which we have tried and you know experimentation is key and, and you know this experiment has worked very very well for us. Sumit this is a really interesting point you know, uh, you know going a bit more deep onto the hiring aspect so you said that you know from a sales acumen perspective in the beginning you said there is going to be a difference between a key account manager who's coming from a large enterprise IT company vis-a-vis someone who's coming from a startup space. Typically from a sales acumen, what difference do you see and how do you gauge that, okay, this is one person that I would want to choose for my strategic uh, segment of customers? Yeah, I think I touched upon uh, this a uh, bit. Uh, so uh, I, you know, again, uh, not averse to hiring people from large companies. Uh, uh, you know, uh, even in a bad, uh, in, in a B2B startup, uh, one key difference uh, in a startup is that, uh, you know, you have to wear many hats, especially at early stages. There are many areas which are great where you don't have a owner. And as a key account manager, you have to pick up the ball and you have to run with it and you have to drive things. So people who bring that uh, uh, drive, that passion and that willingness to uh, you know, go to the unknown uh, and rise up to the challenge. I think that's a very, very key thing uh, to look for. Uh, people who come from large companies, especially if they have worked there for 10 plus years, they are very structured, they are very process oriented. And uh, uh, there is a lot of uh, 
struggle when, when you actually make that transition. I, I had to go through it, uh, to be very honest, because first 15 years of my career, I only worked for large companies. Uh, and I think that key to go about it is, is unlearn, you know, leave what you did in large companies and now start afresh with a fresh mind. Uh, so that's how to cope up with it. But uh, in terms of uh, key things, you know, that ability to adjust to the pace uh, and that initiative taking, uh, uh, you know, mindset, uh, I think is key. You cannot teach that to someone that that is uh, uh, innate in you. And, and that's what we, we look for. You know, you, you can te uh, teach them how to uh, give a demo. You can teach them how to learn about a product. You can give all kinds of enablement, but that attitude piece, you, you, you just uh, have it in you. And that's what we are trying to judge. Interesting. I think uh, one of the hardest traits, I mean, behavior change is one of the hardest things to bring about. So I mean, like, uh, that's a great point that you mentioned. And uh, so me just taking this uh, a step further, I mean, like, you know, a key account manager, extremely crucial, but I think what's also crucial is the kind of team that you build to support a key account manager. Uh, uh, so like what, what are your recommendations con also considering the fact that, you know, you're in a startup budgets are tight. So how do you build that whole ecosystem that supports a key account manager, uh, um, uh, uh, from let's say a customer success angle or a marketing angle, or maybe, you know, tech, uh, to support, like, how does that structure look like? Uh, how do you build it? Um, would love to, you know, know uh, get some insights on that. No, absolutely. So this question has a lot of, uh, you know, wider implications. So let me try to cover a few different areas as I answer this question. Uh, so as we were building uh, the uh, account management team, we decided we are not going to focus on vertical, right? Uh, and neither did the other teams. But in uh, AM, I was very clear, I'm not going to build a vertical focused team because anyways, we were a very horizontal product. Uh, in, in my last two startups. So, so that was an easy decision. Then we looked at regions. Let's, let's go regionally. 70% of our revenue, 60 to 70% was coming from the America's market. <coughs> Excuse me. So we, we decided to go with a regional structure for Americas. We divided the region into East, West and Central region. And we had uh, account managers uh, focused more, more on these regions. And we were, uh, you know, uh, in the enterprise space, uh, or a little bit of mid-market. So we did not distinguish initially, uh, you know, at stage B or C as we started building the practice to distinguish those two. We 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 allowed the account manager, but we made it regional. The <clears throat> span of control, as a rule of thumb, which I've learned, is one manager to seven employees. So as we started to scale up, we looked at that ratio, and when we were approaching that ratio. Uh, just because you you won't be able to mentor, support, nurture those people, uh, uh, you, you know, we started looking at regional leaders. So that that's the uh, span of control of, as a rule of thumb, one manager to seven people. Initially, uh, for for the uh, Europe region, we did account management from uh, India, but we quickly realized that uh, it's not uh, the best model. As we got to three to four customers. We could initially do this uh, for UK market because they were much more open, they were English speaking. Uh, so we did that initially from offshore, but not for too long. So we hired for UK and continental Europe anyways, prefers people who are local, who are close to them and who speak the local language. Mm -hmm. uh, so we started hiring for continental Europe. We hired in the dark region, uh, Germany. 
Uh, the other thing which we realized is our competition started exploiting uh, this weakness as well. So it was important to hire local uh, in Europe and, and move away from uh, the India-based uh, India uh, AMs. And the other thing was uh, relationships uh, and trust is hard to build from a distance in the AM role. It is so key to develop that relationship with uh, your customers as you go deep and as you go wide in the account. So that was very, very important. Uh, the other part of your question, I know I'm, I'm going a little long, was, was the supporting roles. So we looked at a BDR and an inside sales team uh, to do the outbound activities uh, to other groups within our Fortune 100, Fortune 500 clients, as well as any of their joint ventures or subsidiaries. We looked at a ratio of one is to two uh, for BDR uh, to AMs. Uh, unless there was a very heavy outbound activity for the team uh, for a particular AM, and then it would be one to one, but otherwise it was one to two, um, or maybe on one to three. Uh, and then we had a customer advocacy and a customer focused marketing team to be able to drive programs for existing customers and nurture them. That team really helped. And lastly, uh, I believe a solution consultant who can help you in discussions in your client workshops building new use cases for the platform also is something to look at although the account manager can do that and, and we we had our account managers uh, you know do this for a long period of time uh, at a certain scale you may want to invest into a solution consultant uh, who can help you uh, in in those discussions as you go to different groups or as you go to different companies subsidiaries interesting i think uh, um... Thanks for kind of sharing insights around uh, the structure, et cetera. And I think, uh, you know, while we have this setup of different uh, people and different functions, like how, like what kind of, um, uh, you know, KPIs uh, do these uh, functions or roles have? Uh, I think if you can shed some light on that as well, that will be also, uh, that will be helpful. Uh, especially on the KPIs uh, front and how do you develop, uh, develop those over the course of time? Uh, I think that would be, uh, would be interesting to know. Yeah, in terms of the comp structure for a account management role, it is typically a standard practice in the industry to look at a fixed uh, and incentive salary. It's typically 70, 30, you will have variations of 65, 35, 75, 25, but you know, the ratio is uh, 70 to 30. And, uh, if you look at the key KPIs uh, for the uh, AM, at my previous startup, it actually evolved. Uh, you know, we had an ARR uh, target, a quota. Uh, we even gave CSAT to the account managers for maybe two years. They were driving renewals. And then there was KPI around pipeline. So depending upon the company, you may want to look at this as you evolve. Uh, so we eventually settled the... Uh, uh, on ARR uh, and renewals and pipeline. We dropped the CSAT uh, from an account management uh, role uh, uh, you know, at the previous uh, startup. Like I said, the KPIs could change from year to year as you scale and as you uh, evolve. Now, in terms of ARR, we were focused on upsell. Uh, it was from cross-sell, and we started uh, monetizing uh, support services as well. So we came up with subscription for support services, which were recurring in nature. So all of that made your uh, quota number. Uh, like I mentioned, renewals were responsibility of uh, AMs. In many companies, 
uh, I've seen that the customer success managers actually manage the renewals, and that's the case uh, at uh, at uh, Wartflex. Uh, the CSAT I talked about was uh, measured by NPS, which is a key metric. Uh, but eventually, we moved away from it, and and it became uh, you know more of a customer success uh, uh, KPI than than uh, a account management uh, uh, KPI. Gordon, I think uh, there is. Uh... Like there's there's a lot of debate when it comes into uh, deciding you know what what should be like the ratios between uh, the renewal versus you know growth. Uh, so how do you decide like you know or how do you strike the right balance between those two uh, as part of an AM's or a key account manager's role? Yeah. So <coughs> excuse me. The the benchmarking. Uh, <coughs> Uh, you know, we did uh, showed that in many of the uh, B2B SaaS startups, uh, renewals are being managed by the customer success team. If you look at a customer success team, they are responsible for <clears throat> helping onboard the customer. They are sharing best practices on, uh, you know, how the product or the platform has to be utilized. They are driving adoption. And uh, if you look at all these metrics and if it's done uh, properly, then you have a good CSAT and then you have a good renewal. So I think um, I feel that from a renewal uh, perspective, it is a good strategy. Uh, uh, you know, just my personal view uh, makes it easier for the AM team uh, for renewals to sit under uh, the customer success. For account managers, then, then uh, I think it's very, very clear that you need to drive uh, revenue. You need to grow your accounts. And again, there is now this quarter plus next quarter plus one, but then you have to plan how do you grow revenue uh, you know, in the medium to long term for your star customers or your more strategic customers. And I think that that's a good balance uh, to look at hey, driving growth. Now, don't get me wrong, your account manager has to work very closely with the customer success team in driving customer satisfaction and participating in your steering committees, uh, you know, uh, in your business reviews and, and help, uh, help the client. Uh, I say every person in the company is a salesperson uh, at, uh, you know, at some point of time. And likewise, a account manager has to be someone who's very customer satisfaction focused and, and uh, you know, helping uh, you know, driving value, but but I would put the growth part into AM, and then I would put the renewals for customer success team. Yeah, Sumi, that's a very valid point. In fact, we have been seeing that in a lot of companies, it is the delivery the delivery folks have also started owning up some portion of uh, you know revenue. So that's a very valid point there. Sumit, a question from an enablement perspective: What tools or systems do you prefer? for the account management team to enable them to do their job at an optimum level? Yeah, so I would say, uh, you know, few things which are the absolute must, right? You need to have uh, a CRM system, which is your system of record for all customer transactions, your leads, your contacts, your opportunities, any of your account notes, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that, that's a given. Uh, depending upon where you are in your journey, you can start with, uh, you know, a pipe drive or, uh, you know, other tools and then eventually move to a dynamics or a Salesforce. But that's a very, uh, you know, personal uh, question for the organization, but definitely invest in a CRM tool. 
uh, I would say look at a customer success platform tool as well, um, whether it's a Gainsight or a Churn Zero or a Strike Deck or a Skill Jar, Totango, uh, one of those tools when you are about 20 to 30 customers. We did not invest in it uh, initially and then trying to get a 360 degree view of your customers. What was their overall health? What is the pulse over the last 30 days? Where exactly are we in terms of uh, the, the implementation? What stage they are after they have gone live, et cetera, et cetera. What is the churn risk? It's very difficult to do it through spreadsheets because you don't get a 360 degree view. And as the account manager, Besides, you know, this is an important tool for CS. As an account manager, it's very important to uh, get that 360-degree view. You know, going into a meeting, uh, whether it's a <clears throat> regular touchpoint meeting, one-on-one -on -one with your uh, customer, you don't want to be surprised there. Or whether it's an EVR, or whether you are briefing your uh, CEO or your leadership team on your most strategic accounts, that, that's a very, very important tool. The other things which uh, uh, we invested in, or I, I would recommend is, uh, a sales enablement tool, uh, tools such as Highspot, Seismic, MindTickle. We started looking at them around late uh, uh, stage C prior to uh, stage D. That, 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 that's the time. This was really, really helpful because now we had a global team of salespeople. We had a global team for uh, account managers. And, uh, you know, uh, when the numbers are large, it's very hard to enable and uh, train these folks. So, uh, I would uh, say look 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 at a sales enablement tool maybe a little bit later because prior to uh, you know you truly becoming global you can still manage it but uh, it's it's an important tool uh, to consider and then we used uh, various uh, things like SharePoint and Microsoft Teams for knowledge sharing and best practices uh, you know again given uh, uh, the time and I'm, I'm uh, you know looking at a uh, close watch on the time. Uh, I'm, you know, things like LinkedIn, Sales Navigator, the Outreach, or the Discover or Zoom Info, or marketing automation tools. Those are all, all very important, and you invest uh, in those as as you scale. So we did invest in many of those, even when we were at stage B, and then we uh, kept on, uh, you know, uh, adding. Great. Uh, I think uh, Sumit also uh, just so I'm getting this correctly. So I think you know when uh, when it's a startup like we have limited budgets and i think uh, it's more like uh, try to maximize uh, what we can do with what we have in hand so i think uh, like what you kind of explained us through is more like also and during the evolution or during the growth phase also how are you then adding these so i think like crm becomes like the first thing that you need to invest in irrespective and then you start investing uh, in, let's say, sales engagement or, uh, you know, uh, sales enablement uh, and then uh, other tools like sales intelligence tools that you measure, um, measure. So would you suggest that this is like the right part to take? Like, okay, you start with the CRM and then slowly, slowly add these, uh, add these to your, uh, you know, arsenal. Absolutely. So I would say start with CRM on day one. I would add a customer success platform tool when you are 30 to 40 customers. And, and you know, these are your enterprise customers. I'm not talking about the SMB segment because they drive a lot of uh, uh, revenue for you. So that, that would be the second thing. And then I would go with a sales enablement tool a little later, uh, you know, as you become uh, a uh, you know, the much bigger company, you, you have a global footprint. So absolutely. Interesting. 
and i think you know uh, while you have all these tools on board like what kind of um, uh, you know while you also build these practices like what kind of engagement models uh, playbooks or frameworks that you build for the team uh, if you can you, you know uh, give us an idea or insights about uh, that so that if uh, people listening here from uh, who are you know in a startup like they get an understanding on what kind of playbooks and frameworks etc that they should be looking at uh, while building and scaling their teams sure sure so uh, let me talk uh, about some internal playbooks let me talk about some external playbooks so from an external playbook uh, you know again this could differ from company to company but uh, one playbook is how do you build and strengthen your customer relationships playbook when should a am get introduced to a customer and what is his role uh, through the life cycle so we typically uh, we looked at introducing the am within uh, one week of customer signing the contract the sales rep would introduce the account manager and the professional services manager in some cases the customer success manager depending upon the company to uh, to the client and the am is now participating from kickoff and then he's present at key milestones during the implementation phase he is not the person driving implementation but he's there uh, at key uh, stages to uh, to show that he's there he's learning about the customer their business processes their business model why they do uh, certain things and these milestones could be like i mentioned face to face kickoff where he's physically present he's there during steering committee uh, meetings he's there at go live and then after go live the am is working closely with uh, with the customer success team and he's participating in uh, ebrs and then he has his own regular touch point so that's on building and strengthening your customer relationships playbook the other playbooks which are important from an external perspective are pipeline building playbook so you are driving abm marketing campaigns where you're working closely with your demand generation team targeting specific personas uh, key for your marketing team is to have the right content as you drive prospects through the buyer's journey of awareness education driving interest and you know landing them at your website uh, we also experimented with outbound sequences which were highly specific and highly customized highly personalized for the prospect in question and we uh, third uh, you know from from a pipeline generation perspective we looked at lunch and learn innovation days customer specific events which were on their website and uh, sorry on on their physical site so these events were targeted for educating customers on new products uh, our roadmap as well as to reach out to other bus and other functional uh, groups uh, who could be potential future customers for our products and the key was to have the current sponsor or the current champion talk about their business problem and how you as a partner as a supplier solved it so case study presentation uh, which worked uh, very very well uh, otherwise yeah, there are a number of other playbooks to drive awareness education and build pipeline but i think these are the uh, key ones uh, to uh, to uh, look at correct i think uh, just uh, one more thing uh, that i had um, in mind is like how do you uh, you know with key accounts i mean you need like uh, you need like buy in from um, your leadership you need Uh, them to be involved in deals uh, you also need uh, in in a way like uh, product help like you know you need to influence some of the product roadmaps as well because uh, it's more like providing that white glove treatment etc so how do you uh, you know how uh, do the teams report to 
the leadership or keep them informed about uh, the key accounts, the progress uh, that's going on uh, on these accounts, just to kind of keep the entire uh, you know leadership uh, involved. Like, how do you do or how do you build that? Yeah, so actually I forgot about uh, talking about the internal uh, playbooks and processes. So I think you asked a very valid question. Yep. So for all our uh, enterprise and strategic customers, we had a account plan. And that account plan, I'm not going into the details, but covered uh, what you need to do uh, in those accounts as a, uh, as, a, as a strategy, as a blueprint. Obviously, it's not very rigid. Uh, you know, there is flexibility around there. So we would do a presentation for our most strategic customers to our senior leadership team. And, uh, <coughs> uh, you know, <coughs> over there, we would also talk about what is our roadmap for next 12 to 15 months? Uh, what's the current status? What does the opportunity landscape look like? And then we had a relationship mapping, which was part of the account plan. And in that relationship mapping, uh, we, uh, you know, mapped our CEO or uh, you know, uh, COO or chief revenue officer and other folks to uh, the counterparts on the customer side. And then we had something called as upward delegation quota. You could ask your CEO or your senior uh, leadership team member to do a certain, uh, you know, task which is assigned to them to enable success at that account. So that's what we used to do to keep uh, our internal senior leadership uh, informed about key accounts and, and take their help. Interesting. I think just one last question that I have before you know we end or bring this uh, bring this home is um, uh, like what are some of the challenges? I mean, this is like an open open ended question, uh, but like what are some of the challenges that uh, you know you face while you are during the evolution of uh, the key account practice, like uh, like top of the mind, like what are those challenges that one would face uh, while you know trying to scale as the company you know grows? Yeah, I think uh, uh, one or two things come to mind, and I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Um, when you are a hyper growth startup or even a high growth startup. There are a number of customers which you are acquiring and you are building your product. And then you have other teams which are all stretched. So as a, a key account manager, you are trying to balance your customers' expectations and then you are trying to make sure that you can bring in the right folks internally to your customer, uh, you know, to solve that business problem. Sometimes the customer has a go-live uh, goal which is very, very uh, tight uh, and your product is coming a little late or your implementation team, uh, you know, is not able to keep up with, with that timeline because that's what uh, was promised during the sales cycle. So as your account manager, you got to, uh, you know, keep that balance and manage both sides, push internally very hard and that's tough because there is everybody else is, you know, asking for help and then manage the customer expectations. Um, so I think that, that I would say was uh, one of the uh, key challenges. Uh, and again, second challenge is in, in, in a hyper growth uh, uh, sort of startup, uh, there is lots of new customers coming and your product is evolving uh, and you know, becoming much deeper and richer. And some of those functionalities are also uh, not there in the product on, on day one uh, when the customer uh, wants to see it. And uh, that uh, gap which is there, you as an account manager, now you need to manage it because uh, the sales team is out 
and you got to face the customer. So trying to manage that aspect uh, was also a key challenge in, in a hyper growth, uh, you know, uh, B2B startup. Thanks a lot, Sumit. I think that was a very valid point. In fact, one of the last guests that we had, so they shared a very interesting point around that how a key account manager also has to sell the vision internally within the company so that he he's able to you know pull in the right subject matter experts, the relevant people, whether it be getting a buy-in from the leadership team or getting buy-in from the technical folks. Thanks a lot, Sumit. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I'm sure everyone who's listening to the podcast got to, you know, got to listen to a lot of great insights on how to build and scale practices in a startup, uh, build and scale key account practices in a startup. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the, uh, uh, the discussion as well. Thanks, Sumit.